0: Heels off the top. Larkham.
1: Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has De Beer De Beer. Welcome, everyone, to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. Remembering We're the show that's getting you over the advantage line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. My name's Reg Roberts, I'm your host once again, uh, back in the chair after, I don't know, a couple of weeks off, who keeps track these days, but uh, we have you know, two of the regulars uh, with us again, Jamie Miller joining us, Sydney side, how are you Jamie? I'm
2: very good, thanks
1: Reg. You, you're bubbling there mate, I, I can hear you know, the, you're on ball, or it's simmer at the moment, but I think it, I get a feeling that it's about to boil over pretty quickly, so we, uh, I, I won't hold you back, we're going to get into these accurate. questions soon. Yeah, yeah that's if, well, um, we're also at Hugh Cavill, who might be a little bit more placated after a bit of a, um, uh, a a great article on the blog today, which we might delve into a little bit later and some of the reaction from that. But how are you going, Hugh?
2: Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. A bit of a depressing week in in rugby. All things considered, but uh, can't say it's uh, not a few things to talk about on the show. So let's get stuck in.
1: Yeah, it, it's one of the more significant shows, I think, in terms of topics to discuss. Um, so it's great for you guys to join us. Our fearless leader, Matt Raleigh, uh, was keen as mustard to be here. But I think, is he open birth? Was that what he said? Is he having meetings with Twiggy? Are we finally getting this uh, Twiggy, grinning gold Twiggy rugby show off the ground?
2: Look, I I, I I don't think we're allowed to comment on it yet, Reg. Oh, but uh, well, I know sorry. that Maserati that Matt's been driving around um, obviously looks like it's pretty brand new to me.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Um, all right, well, that's good. We'll, we'll leave that be. But what... Matt was really keen to have his say tonight and we, he is disappointed he couldn't be on the show. So uh, he's sent us a little um, recorded voicemail message um, on, on some of his thoughts on, on some of the issues that have raised on the, on the weekend. And we'll touch these as we go through our uh, five burning questions, which I'll speak to first um, or soon. But let's uh, have a quick listen to Matt. It's Matt here. Let me get in here quick before Hugh tells you that
0: actually everything that happened on Saturday night was all okay. Uh, number one, that bald idiot fan. Uh, it, total furphy. Uh Yeah, sure, we didn't want to see it. But really, if anything, it's like, you know, what's where's the security um, and what's going on with that? I don't think it's an indication of anything. There's always going to be a pissed idiot around somewhere. One just managed to get in the way. Um, it was amazing that they managed to find one and what I could see of that crowd there. So, and I thought that was really, really unfortunate because what it did was completely cloud and put a smokescreen over what was something that was incredibly disappointing. Um, so, and, and I thought, you know, Checker liked to play it up as well. Maybe he saw that for what it was as well. as was a great look over here moment. So the whole pissed idiot fan total furphy. Let's just get over that. Let's just put that to one side and move on. No one was hurt. Who cares? Um, of far more interest was what I thought Wilgenia said. Um, and what he said was along the lines of you know, there's only so many sprays or rockets that a coach can give us. It's up to us to go out and perform. And I thought that's really really interesting because I'm starting to wonder are sprays and rockets and Messing with people's minds, the only thing that Checker and the coaching team is actually trying to do because it's becoming harder and harder to see what the game plan is, either in attack or defense. Uh, We saw that I think we missed as many tackles as we actually made in the first half, and it was very, very difficult to see where what the attacking structure was and and how we were going to really, really take it to to Argentina. It starts to make me wonder if you know this sort of Checker trademark is is it is is this what we call like a tournament coach he's not really there to coach over the long term when you can actually end up you know at place seventh in the world rankings or you know with with a win rate that's well below 50 percent what he really needs is just one you know is a good tournament to get people up for and get them through because it's much more about getting to run getting them to run through walls than it is to be and giving them a, a structure um or god forbid more than one structure that they might be able to employ and employ regularly and I'm starting to wonder whether this starts to explain this reliance on a on a mental uh, capacity or a mental effect on the players. Why it seems to me that we seem to be able to manage games to get them to a point where we're just able to lose them, and it doesn't seem to matter who we're playing against. So it can be the most unfancied team, and look, they're starting to go lower and lower in the pecking order that can beat us uh, like this. You know, um, Scotland is now a, a constant. Um, uh, worry for us, um, and 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 we, you know, and whether it's you know managing two draws against what was a pretty weak South Africa last year, um, you know, even when we managed to win last week uh, or the week before last, it was all it was still sort of very last minute stuff, and it just seems that mentally we, you know. If, if we're relying on everyone to have a spray and a rocket and to be running out there and running through doors, you know, maybe it's very hard to keep that going and, and to get ahead of a team and stay ahead of a team. We seem to come out of the blocks really quickly and then just completely fall apart and rely on getting close at the end, um, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. And that seems to be a recurring pattern. Anyway, I'll leave it over to you boys to pick over the rest.
2: Well, wait, wait, come on, Reg. No, oh, right. No, Let's no match. Let's... let's I don't want to give him first crack at this. He didn't turn up, you know. He has, He's not here. He's got other things on him. Whatever's more important than this, that's fine. But, I mean, I think, you, you know, the opinions of the three of us need to be heard first before, oh, just, at, at least preliminary, before we go to Matt.
1: He might be the curtain raiser sort of thing that is, until we get into the main show. All right, well, let's let's talk about um, the, the five burning questions. And they're, they're pretty simple. but They're here to to spark a little bit of discussion. So the first burning question is simply, what went wrong on Saturday night? Two, how do we react to that abusive fan? Um, and we'll talk about Hugh's article there. Um, question three, where to from here for the Wallabies? Uh, it's a fairly open-ended question, but plenty to discuss there. The All Blacks... Lost uh, on the weekend and uh, to the the Springboks. So is the Rugby Championship alive again? And question five is uh, about the NRC and is it dead in the water? And we'll have a chat about that soon. So all right, Saturday night. Let's um, let's go to you, Jamie. You, you've uh, been quiet and I can sort of hear, hear some grinding of the teeth on the on the microphones here. So I want you to to you know talk us through what went wrong Saturday night.
3: Well, it was a total disgrace. I mean, we lost, that's bad enough, at home against Argentina, but they had two tries disallowed. And really, we were probably pretty lucky to be in a, in a position to win at the end. Um, but the other thing was that it was just this familiar pattern of opposition teams just waiting for us to strangle ourselves. Like, we didn't really make Argentina have to, have to do a lot to win. Um, you know, a couple of flashy tries, but every time we built pressure, when we went to six or seven phases, if we could get that long without dropping the ball, they looked like they were just about to fall apart. I mean, so did we, but we had a lot more ball. But at the end of the day, you know, in the first half we completed 42% of tackles. That means for every two we made, we missed three. And when we're hoping for a number around 90%, that's, it's just not good enough. And the lack of honesty and accountability from the people involved in the team is it's just insulting to the fans. It is insulting that you can miss that many tackles, that you can have a tackle completion rate of 42% and the defense coach doesn't say, hey, look, maybe I'm not up to this. It's really trying to go to the pub and watch what was just an absolute shit show in defense and on attack, you know, just drop ball after drop ball, a lack of accuracy that was just, Astonishing. And, you know, if this was one off, if this was one off, it'd be a disgraceful performance, but it's not. I mean, this has happens every couple of tests where we have a lot of talent on the park. Sure, there's one or two guys who probably aren't up to it, but we have one or two guys who are, who are really well classed, more than that. And the pieces just aren't fitting together. And for me, it's kind of like a relationship, you know, you get to a point where you've got to wonder, Are there enough good days for the bad days? And at the moment, the answer is definitely no. And I don't think there's anyone except for a couple of fans, Checker and his team and Rugby Australia, who think the answer is yes. This is a relationship that is not functioning. It's not working. And I think all parties would be better off if they just broke up and went their separate ways because this is a team going in the wrong direction. And I want them to succeed more than anything, but... They cannot succeed regularly by going down this path. All
1: right, excellent. A good, good start, and we're bordering onto question three. There, going forward, I want to focus on Saturday night, though, York. I'm to you in a second. I want to take it back a second before this even game. My biggest question about this test match, leading into this, why the hell is it on the Gold Coast? This is dumb. Yeah, you know, the Gold Coast is a dud market, with all due respect to, to our good mate Shane, Sully Sullivan, who takes some fantastic photos for us as the heart and soul of Green and Gold Rugby and lives in the Gold Coast, lovely place to live. But from a sporting market, it's terrible, you know, and, and we've tried it there before. We've taken test matches there before, and it doesn't work. We've had the Sevens there before. It doesn't work. Uh, the Commonwealth Games Sevens was fantastic, set that sort of crowd record uh, for the stadium. But that's that's different. That's unique. Um, and, um, you know, we had a different type of rugby, uh, on show that time, medals involved, all that sort of stuff. 16,000 for a test match is damn embarrassing. You know, that's, it's a good crowd if you take it to Ballymore back in the mid 80s sort of thing. That's a, that's about it. Um. The decision to have it there that weekend, and I I could only assume we were getting government funding, you know, ARU was getting government funding from the state or from the city of Gold Coast, but there's not a chance that was happening because there was a major international triathlon event on the Gold Coast that weekend that would have been soaking up all of the state government's money and the city council's money. I just don't get it, other than perhaps the uh, the coaches, the coaching management team wanted a week on the Gold Coast to prepare before they started their overseas trips. But it seems a ludicrous scheduling appointment. And I only say that in the scheme of things, because as Matt alluded to or will allude to whenever he decided to pop his message in, the crowd was abysmal. And it just starts from that for the team how can they you know that game got what it deserved for how it was scheduled and for the the, the, the type of attendance that was there and that Wallaby performance it was, it was a poor start to the whole experience let alone what happened on the field um, uh, Hugh to you mate what was your take put aside you know what happened afterwards how that might change things but that performance of the Wallabies um, and uh, the result that came from it was pretty damn distressing
2: yeah, oh, 100%. And I think the most telling reaction was probably Michael Checkers and and normally in the coaching box he tends to be the, you know, as we'd well know, very animated sort of ride, rides the game, the highs and the lows and he's a very passionate bloke and even he looked just you know, lost. He looked exasperated. He didn't even have the 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 energy to to stand up and swear at the referee and in a weird way that that's the the um the, the disappointing sign and the sign that sort of tells you, I think, where his headspace is at as much as, you know, w- what's he supposed to do? Um, obviously, he feels like he's he's squeezed the juice out of his team. And, I, I mean, I don't disagree with Jamie. I think it's probably time to look for a change. Um, but, you know, I, I think the coaching staff have got problems. But at the, as what Wilgenia said, and, and look, he – Raises some very valid issues with what Wilginia said, but at a certain point, you've got to you've got to blame the players. You know that forty two percent missed tackle percentage. There's people missing those tackles. There's <clears> the drop balls. You know the coaches not the coaches' job to teach them how to catch a football. I mean, and then we get to the final play of the game, the piece de resistance of that Wallaby effort, which is Israel Falau. You know, in the most literal sense, costing us the game because if he passes that ball to Bernard Foley. We he scored. I mean, I, 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 you know, it's hard to go into the hypothetical world, but I mean, Foley had space, he had time, he had, you know, he gets in the corner there, I reckon, and barring catastrophe. Um, so, you know, uh, in a sliding doors world, if this Wallaby team had basic skills in terms of exploiting overlaps and catch and pass, not only do we win that game, but we probably win the third test of, against Ireland as well, because there's another five on three in the last play of the game. They completely ballsed up, um, and it's just not good enough. It, it's simply not good enough, and and as a, as a fan, it leaves you exasperated, and and, and um, you know what? You just, you just wonder what the answer is because you know that we've shuffled through enough different players, and yeah, look, we can talk um, about the players in question three, but you know, to me. Yeah, you know, there was there was a few players who were below their best for sure, and and we were had Michael Hooper drop out late, which obviously is our captain and it's going to affect you. But I mean, there was there was just plenty of brick bats to go around in the way that we played, and really the only couple of guys that 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 I think could probably hold their heads up were were a couple of blokes off the bench, and then Dane Hallett, Petty, and and probably Reese Hodge, um, and so yeah, he just he just leaves you a bit bereft of and, and what you said reg about about uh, the the crowd and the, the decisions around it and as the last game of the year on home soil it, it just yeah. leaves a very bitter taste doesn't it And you know maybe they're squeamish about clashing with afl finals and so that was why they steered clear of melbourne and of um of perth that's the only reason that i can think of in my mind and that's not a good enough reason to me um but, uh, yeah, look, who, who, who the hell knows? I think they need to change something and whether that's just, you know, um, going, going on the Terps for a week or doing something, going and playing golf or changing the coach or, I don't know. It's, it's just, you know, I'm even tired of that, oh, Channel 10 going, oh, well, this will be a real learning experience for them. That's yeah. the biggest lie that is told yeah. in sport, you know, the, the loss that we learn from. Christ, if we if we've we should be bloody geniuses by now if we've had if we learn something with every loss. We should be an encyclopedia of knowledge, uh, of learnings from all of our devastating losses over the year that we've supposedly learnt from. I mean we should be world beaters by now if that's the case, but no. Anyway, so we're like, getting we're getting into round modes. Here I can
3: tell you in that encyclopedia, Alan Alalala Toa is definitely the first entry.
1: Um, <laughs>
3: I just, just wanted to back up Reg's point from earlier about the Gold Coast being a terrible sporting market. I mean, this is a team that has a the only really failing AFL franchise, uh, and they've had three failed rugby league teams in the last 30 years. The Seagulls, the Crushers, and, and now the Titans, where people sign on and then desperately try to go, move away from. It is a sporting graveyard.
1: And, and a professional soccer team, you know, the, the mighty oh. Gold Coast United and... I think there's probably a few basketball teams and 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 um, and uh, baseball teams and a lot they churn and burn professional sporting teams and uh, yeah. you know it was one of the real challenges with the games. I know the organisers were very concerned would people turn up for the event um, because they don't turn up for any other events. And, and in the end, I think the vast majority of the the, the crowd were Brisbane people anyway. So. Um, yeah, odd. Uh, look, uh, Jamie, I, I need to ask you a question because I think you're the closest we've got to an elite coach on the panel. Um, the highest level of, 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 uh, of coaching, at least, is check his comments post-game, which match, um, uh, again, immediate post-match comments around enthusiasm and so on. What does that mean? I mean, I know check his comments last week, I was at the post-match press conference in Brisbane when they won the box and he was proclaiming how much better they were of getting off the ground, the players getting off the ground and getting involved in the second play. But I, I, you know, I guess tangibly, what does it mean from a match with these and you know, that we lack the enthusiasm? And that means, is it just those second and third efforts? But from a broader perspective, what does it mean? Is it the players yeah. don't want to play or... Does it mean, you know, the coach isn't getting the message across? I don't, I, it's just such a intangible concept that's hard to, you know, to really get a grasp of. I,
3: I think that's exactly right. It is that intangible feeling that you have in a, in a winning team where people are really buying in. And you can see at the moment that there, there's a lack of cohesion in the team. Um, almost every first phase play they ran on the weekend was half a beat off. Um I, I think that's different from effort. I think there's a difference between when Checker talks about urgency, you know, getting off the ground, wanting to make that key tackle. That's buy-in. Um, but there is effort, and the, you know the way you see that is, is the fact that Luke Antui was even playing on Saturday, which yeah. he, it turns out was very emotional for him. But that buy-in, that innate sense of the meaning of what it means to go out there and play, you only have to look at Peter stefft crying like a little boy on uh, at Westpac Stadium in Wellington after the game to see how much beating New Zealand in New Zealand meant to him. And I think our players, there's that inexorable something, that special source you know, that we had during the World Cup and, and great teams have it. We don't. We don't have it. And I think Genia was spot on when he said, look, you know, Chekka can't put any more rockets up us. What he means is he can't inspire us. Anymore, that tank is empty. He, he has no more cool analogies, no more golf clubs, no more anything that can make that to make it happen. But they they could need a new environment to make it happen. But it's it's definitely not there right now. And I, I just go back to that relationship analogy that I still think Michael check is an excellent coach, but it's not working.
1: Yeah, look, what a Matt's discussions there, and and again, it's getting on um, is is checker getting the response he needs and we we hear all these cliches about losing the change rooms and all that sort of stuff and jamie you talk about it there that there's only so much of that fire and brimstone and rockets that can be effective and and certainly four years of it um loses that impact and i i know it was the same with alan jones who had that you know remarkable success early on the grand slam too and the the 86 split slow cup but by within two years the guys were over it you know the the 87 world cup was a was a debacle on the on the face that they were they were over alan jones different time different period different person
3: i mean there was one extra factor there which is alan jones is a dick um i mean i i think that's generally agreed upon and if you read accounts at the time by the players they come to the same conclusion
2: um, I just wanted said, to add that in there. That's said it, can I say it would be fascinating if Michael Checker was coaching this team whilst hosting a morning radio show as Alan Jones <laughs> was doing in nineteen eighty seven. Um but I mean picking up picking up that point though, Jamie, and, and and I mean it's what I've heard. I mean someone on the forum said oh, you know, that they were at a sportsman's dinner with an ex wallaby yeah. who basically, after a few beers, sort of got stuck a bit stuck in a checker and said, Look, it's 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 the 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 shtick that michael checker does is is good for the first couple of years and then the players start to see through it and the fire and brimstone stuff starts to wear off and and to be honest i 100 by that and i think we are yeah. i mean that's exactly what we're seeing and and the same thing you said talk about alan jones actually I think the better analogy is probably eddie jones um yeah. yep. and what we're seeing with, with him england. in england yeah. and what we saw with yep. him in australia and and, you know, he's a coach as much as Checker is renowned for that mind manipulation and, and getting his players to, you know, his six foot players to run out thinking they're 10 foot um, and play like it. And, you know, uh, at a certain point, I think it, it all comes crashing back down. So I think what that's probably what we're witnessing. And that's why I just don't have the trust that Checker can get much more out of these guys than he's doing now. And, and, and it seems like they're you know we're running on fumes, and and um I, I can't see any prospect of improvement. Uh, in fact, you know looking at this year, you'd say it's been one big plateau. After that, you know really good game in Brisbane against Ireland, it's 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 honestly probably gone well downhill. In fact, so you know the more time he's had with this team to mould them and and to sculpt them, in and and is is the worst that he's done. And this is the year that he's had. You know all of the super teams on board, and and everyone seeing from
1: the team sheet. Yep professional coaching panel the first time that the coaches have been the assistant coaches have been full-time you're right the, the supposedly the strength and conditioning was was as good as it's ever been he's had players available all that sort of stuff and it just hasn't worked look we're going to get into that in question three i want to talk about um, move on to question two here um, we you've just listened to us for the last, I don't know how long it's been, 15 minutes um, and you can hear the passion in all of our voices we're all um, ardent fans of the games and, and, and very passionate Wallaby fans and rugby fans as it was and what we saw on the weekend after the Saturday night night's test was that sort of manifested to a very negative um, uh, action and, and obviously spurred on by a bit of alcohol and so on. And, and Luke Antui copped the brunt. But if you see the video, which is pretty amazing, you can see um, this this gentleman give it to Jack Maddox and then Adam Coleman. And the look on Adam Coleman's face, I can't believe he didn't go after this guy. Um, but then obviously it was spurred on with Luke Antui. And, and it was... It was it's, in, it's really interesting, Hugh, and you wrote a great, great article. And I'll, I'll lead off with you. But... You can understand the passion, and I heard Greg Martin talking Triple M radio, uh, you know, in the morning, sort of say, you know, that's what Wallaby fans are feeling at the moment, and maybe it didn't come out the right way, but that's. They are so pissed off at the moment about, about what's happening, you know, with the team, with with rugby administration, and 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 in the states and all that sort of stuff. It, it's it's understandable. It's coming out like that. It, maybe not, to, you know, to that sort of level, but it, it's understandable. I mean, we're pissed off, but how far do we take it, Hugh?
2: Well, yeah, and 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 you're right, Reg. That's what I wrote about today. Is I think that bloke. In the crowd, and and you know that's I, I don't think Luke so t- t- he handled it particularly well, and and this whole you know the the word that he's not going to tour now because of that incident I think is a bit overblown. I mean, as Matt pointed out there in in the recording just before, I mean yeah you know, I, I disagree. It's a furphy. I do think it's probably got a bit of undue attention um, because yeah yeah realistically the bloke's a bit of the bloke was a bit of a dill who had too many beers, and we, you see that at most. You know, junior games and subbies games. You know, someone who's had a few too many give the ref a serve or a player a serve. It's it's not. We're not necessarily breaking new ground. But I think what what it did spark within me personally, and I think obviously a few other people, given that that you know the the articles kind of resonated with with a lot of people, is that I, I think it's just given me pause to reconsider the relationship that I have to the game, and I think it should give us all pause and 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 that sort of behavior is is just not on but you know the the stuff that we see online is 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 the 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 uh internet equivalent of that sort of behavior in, in many ways and and the um vitriol and the passion and and the emotion that gets set on our comment threads and on facebook and on our other places and and look i'm all for for people being passionate and certainly the three of us are and it's why we're here and talking about rugby and i love analyzing the game and, 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 you know, talking about the the mistakes and the the strengths and the weaknesses and all of this sort of stuff. But I think, um, you know, for me as a fan, I've been thinking about it all this year, actually, it's been, it's been a number of different triggers for me, but that is another one in that, you know, what am I doing all this for? You know, it's a bit like what I had a debate about Matt with last week and, and Matt's, you know, I don't by no means want to cast any aspersions on Matt. He's the same as us. Um, but, you know, if, if you don't – if if you watch a game and feel nothing but anger even if we win the game, if you're frothing at the mouth and wanting people to, to, to you know, be dropped forever and changes to be made and, and, you know, the the ranting and raving, then, you know, what's the point of it all? It's just a game. It's just something we do to entertain ourselves. You know, and if you're not getting that enjoyment out of it and that entertainment out of it, just walk away. No one's going to stop you. It's not mandatory to watch the Wallabies. Go and take take up another hobby or read a book or – you know just change the channel because you know if, if it's if it's leading you to have such a stressful life and and pour out such anger and spite on a keyboard then then you know, why are you doing it to yourself and so i think what that's boiled down to is this sort of uh, i don't know vibe around the game and, and yet look there are many reasons for negativity in australian rugby and 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 um you know the Wallaby's form is certainly a big one, but you know, at the end of the day, we're rugby fans, and I think we've got to try and you know do our best to try and you know yep yeah, sure sure dish out the brickbats where they're needed on how players play and criticize the tactics. But you know, when the game's on, give you know cheer the fans, cheer the players, and recognize they're human beings and they're just you know <laughs> yeah you can disagree on a number of things, but they're out there giving it a crack and and and. You know, I think sometimes we veer too much into the critic zone and, and and away from being just fans, and that's what I want to be, and and I think you have more fun that way, you know, if you just try and relax a bit and and stop the screaming at the TV and put down the, the um, you know, the keyboard at times and just try and enjoy it for what it is, and, you know, that means, yep, look, that was a disappointing loss, but celebrating what was a great Argentinian performance and, and how good it was to see them get their first win in 35 years. I mean, you don't have to stand and applaud a losing Wallaby side, but to try and take a bit more positive out of everything. Because if you're just taking negatives, then what's the point? And my final my final observation, Reg, and this is something I I've I've thought about more today, and I didn't put it in the article, but it's one of the reasons why I think club rugby and schoolboy rugby have seen a bit of a resurgence lately and in that is it's it's a it's a very nostalgic thing of standing on the hill and singing a few tins and, and watching a team play with no TMO and no Twitter and no you know analysis of all the ins and outs and and um that sort of coverage and you can just sit back and watch a game for the love of it and and yeah you can you know hurl out a few sledges from the sidelines and have a good laugh but um you know as long as it's all in the right spirit and then you go home and and get on with your life and you've just had a good time at at a footy game and realistically the winners and losers are, are, are almost irrelevant it's just good seeing your team and giving them and cheering them on and and sort of being in a more relaxed atmosphere because that These days with professionalism and super rugby and the Wallabies, I feel like we've lost that. We've lost the ability just to have a few beers and, and cheer the team on and, and at the end of the day, go home and get on with our lives. I don't know. Maybe I'm a guy speaking on a podcast that has done a million listens in eight years and maybe I'm not the person to be making that point. But um, yeah, I think it's just caused me to consider how I relate to the game and how I could be enjoying it more than what I am now.
1: Yeah, look, I think a lot of really good points there. A yeah, really interesting comment about, you know, the, the grassroots stuff, the school and club there. I think you're bang on there. I think another reason, and, I, you know, I don't want to be critical, but they are both just a couple of steps more removed from the administration. You know, I think that's I think that's one of the big – we all know how hard it's been for us. We used to do these podcasts. we we used to do this podcast weekly, without doubt, you know, without question sort of thing. But it's a real struggle for us to find the motivation to do it. You know, it's it's the same old stuff we're saying. It's, you know, this week's a little bit big, better. Uh, but sometimes I, I just don't want to talk about rugby. And, you know, I'm as passionate as they come. But, you know, the schoolboy and the club stuff, it's, it's, it's removed from that bullshit that happens at the, those upper levels, the, you know, the salaries and the, you know, the, you know, the, the speak from coaches and the commentators and the administrators. And it's just, yeah, like you say, Hugh. it's, it's you know, it's, it's the true ethos of the game where it's about participation and fun and, and, and just enjoying the game. Jamie, did you want to say something? It's also,
2: well, my last point, Reg, is probably rugby's not isolated from that too. You look at, you know, certain fans of AFL and, and, oh, so- yeah. and, and soccer yep. and, and, and league. It's, I think it's creeping into all sports where it's this, this notion that you can just get on and abuse people online and, and and you know really just vent yourself and and probably take out other things that are happening in your life on a on a footy team and and I don't know it's just starting to wear me down a bit and you know I copped a little bit of flack especially on Facebook but I mean again the, the, oh you know good on uh, good on that bloke in the crowd you know he he had more passion than the people on the field and I think that's just a bit ridiculous I mean sometimes we're we're um. You know, just a, just a little bit, um, a little bit silly with how we view that. I think Jamie's just dropped out. Reg, he's so disgusted, disgusted yeah, that I dare too. criticize his too. right to to rant to, at make personal aspersions against the players. Um, it's funny. I yeah. used
1: I used to think that all this. Um... You know this this abuse or this negativity was driven by this you know the social media the anonymity or whatever um, anonymous nature of you know the punter and that their ability to um, to say what they want. I mean obviously that guy was not anonymous or or we don't necessarily know who he is, but he was um, sort of very visible there. But gosh, I remember that how Camper used to cop it. You know. All the time, he was, in fact, you know, widely regarded as being more loved and appreciated overseas than he was at home, um, and how he would have uh, struggled in the time of uh, Twitter and social media if he was um, if he was around at the taps. But um, look, it, it's it's the nature of the beast, and, and it's you know, it's it's interesting. It's it's good to see there is some. It's yeah, interesting really? to see that, that that passion is there. So um, you know, that's probably a good thing for the game. Um, We're just getting Jamie on and off again. I think we've got him back there. Jamie, are you there, mate?
3: Uh, I just wanted to say how much I I validate both of those points of view, Hugh and Reg. I I really agree with that. I'd just go a little bit further in the case of this fan. I mean, I think it's one thing to be really disappointed with the team. It's one thing to be frustrated. It's one thing to be passionate. But you've got to be all of those things in the abstract because those feelings come from what the team represents and means to you The idea that a player would walk into a bar or in this case would be at the side of the field and you would personally abuse them. Like, I think that is just, that's terrible behavior. That is really, really low. And I would like to think that if any player walked into a bar where I was, I'd be pretty stoked that they were there and I'd observe that they were there. Uh, and I might even go up and shake their hand and congratulate them and, um, I just can't. I just don't understand what social code this guy is coming from, where he thinks it's okay to individually abuse a player to their face. That's that's pathetic. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah
1: look, make no mistake. Hundred uh, uh, percent. Uh, just ridiculous. And if you see again the video footage of it, he's having a go at Coleman and, and Maddox with these three wide-eyed kids, sort of right at his hip just looking up going, what's going on? Here I am talking to these heroes of mine and this guy has just come in and, and sort of taken over and, and using it as his own sort of soapbox. So, um, and then what goes on further. But it, we, we all agree what he did was despicable. He's, you know, it's either Rugby Australia or Luke Arn doesn't want to take it any further so there'll be no further action against him. I guess the stadium will do his own thing. What stadium was security doing? I don't know, but that's by the by. But in terms of, you know, as a lesson for all of us, um, I think we sort of recognise passion's great, but it's um, in the in the right right channeled uh, areas. So uh, yeah, we, we want it. That's why we love the game. But let's just uh, use it appropriately and respect that these guys are just people playing rugby. Um, let's let's bring a little bit of that passion back and look to look at question three, guys. Where, where to from here? The Wallabies, and I guess let's start with the coaching. And I think we, I think we're all in the same boat here. I mean, and Ben Darwin, who you know, I had a great chat with him. You know, we're all big believers, and I think we're really fascinated by Ben Darwin's work. And his his belief is that um, coach changing the coach won't change results. But I think it's results long term. And he's got these graphs and has seen our performances gradually increase, decrease over the last 20 years. So, you know, there is something inherently wrong with the structure and the system of Australian rugby. So changing the coach won't change things long term. I acknowledge that but I don't care about the long-term for the time being. We have to fix that. That's right. Let's get some systems in place and what that means in terms of better coach development through the channels all the way to grassroots and some better skills development as a result and better, uh, I guess, we want everyone in Australian rugby pointing the same path from clubs to, to the Wallabies. But we've got a World Cup about 12 months away. Um, we need a change. I mean, uh, you know, uh, we need a new coach. What do you think, Jamie?
3: Yeah, look, I mean, I, I guess I've already touched on it.
1: I, I still think that relationship analogy is a good one.
3: I think that Michael Checker could go away and have a lot of success with another team. Yep. But, you know, this team has talent. It really, really does. Um, there is There are some great players in it, a couple of really well class players. But every time they walk on the field, you just get the sense that the, the hole is so much less than the sum of the parts. They don't play smart. The defensive organisation, particularly as we've seen this winter, from transition from attack to defence, is is really bad. Uh, is rarely very good. Um, and I just never get the sense that we're ever outsmarting another team. I don't think the other coaches are scared of us. I don't think they they don't know what's going coming their way. And I just I just feel we need to go in a new direction. I think you're absolutely right. There are structural problems under the surface that are gonna hamper any other coach as well. But the reality is, you know, I've heard this line that, Oh, there's no one else to do it. And that's garbage. I mean, Australia are a top five, generally international rugby team and coaching jobs at a top five international team are like hen's teeth. They just never come up. And there are so many talented coaches up there who would give, who would give anything to have the opportunity to coach at that level, to have the opportunity to maybe go to a world cup semi final or final and, I think we should put out an open tender, you know, the way you do for any other job and and find the best person for the job who can turn things around uh, because they need turning around. We can't keep going on like this. And I don't think things are going that things aren't going to rectify themselves. There's no evidence that we can keep going in this direction and somehow things are going to get better consistently in the medium term. I just I just can't see it.
1: Hugh, what about you? Do you think a change of coach is needed or is it just an assistant coaches or how do we, you know, keep an eye on just the World Cup. So we want results in the next 12 months. I think Checker had his team for about 12 months as well um, back in 2015. Is that a similar model we should be looking at?
2: Yeah, look, it probably has to be, doesn't it? I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's not as easy as just, I mean, I understand Jamie's point, but I mean just put out an open tender and well what if what if nothing does come back i mean it, you know there are good coaches kicking around but i mean we this is a top five coaching job i mean you said it yourself jamie we can't just give it away to to some bloke who's had a couple of good club seasons um you know it's it, it, like I, I i know what you're saying
3: but like guys like dave rennie and and chris boyd and jamie joseph like they're all going overseas to, you know Coach Japan or coach Northampton, like no one can tell me that coaching Australia isn't a much better job than those jobs. No,
2: it it, it is, it is. I I know, but I I, look. We've had this discussion before. I suppose we don't need to rake over old ground. And I think the thing is, if we do it, and I think we're probably on the balance of things, we should. um, It's got to be a broom. We can't. You know, my worry is that Czech at you know if we lose one or both of these games on the tour, Czech might walk away voluntarily, and then you know, then what we have Stephen Larkham steps up, you know. That is probably a fairly likely outcome in that instance. So But I'm I'm not sure that's a good outcome. I think you no, got No, it's a horrible outcome. Yeah. So um, I think we've got to take control of the process. That and and, and that's and, and my my point is it's gotta be a broom because I can't I don't want Grey Larkham. I mean it, it, the Checker thing, Checker's fortunes are so tied to, to those two especially that that you know, if if, if we're going to clean house, let's clean house. Um, and I think yeah, that's probably where we need to go. And and I mean, I, you know, getting back to players, certainly I think that Kirtley, Kirtley Beale Beal can probably you know try something a bit different, and maybe that's wing or fullback or something else. But I mean, I've, I'm enjoying the Tamua Hodge combination. The centres, I think mm. Bernard Foley probably needs to come back, and um, you know, a, a bit of bit of change in the pack, maybe. I mean, it looks like Luke Antu—he's not going to tour, which is probably for the best. And, and you know, I, I didn't think the forwards played that badly, actually, on, on Saturday night. They certainly put us in position to score a number of tries. It was just the backs couldn't actually take advantage of that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think a huge amount needs to be done, actually, to the, to the players in terms of selections. But I think, yeah, that, that coaching stuff, it's probably time for a change.
1: Yeah, look, I, I agree with that, and uh, you know, I, I'd like to throw it out there. I think um, it, it's we, we need voices. Gray should have gone a while ago. Larkham never had the credentials, with all due respect, other than being a wonderful player. What did he have? A year in Japan, and then a couple of years as assistant coach with the Brumbies. It's just why are we making these decisions? I mean, so that was similar to Gray. Why are we making these decisions? And guys that are you know guiding our national team, it's just so frustrating. Um, yeah, and you mentioned. I want to talk about some of the players and. You mentioned Beal, and I think you're probably right. I think it's probably time to move on from that 10 experiment. But what frustrates me about Beal, and it's not him himself, he's clearly the most skillful player in that team. I don't think we know how to play with him. There's those times, and he dropped two clear balls. You know, that was just dud play for someone who's so skillful. But those times where he went sideways looking for runners, and the rest of the time, the rest of the team had no idea what to do. You know, and whether that's that effort thing that, you know, the they the, the, you know, just couldn't be bothered or they just generally don't know how to play that instinctive rugby. It was just so frustrating to watch. But, you know, I don't know. I'd like to see the input of a, a few new players. And there's some, you know, someone like an Angus Cottrell. Uh, uh, you know, if Luke Antui isn't um, going to tour, which, is, which he says he isn't, um, I'd love to see Angus Cottrell get a gig. You know, he is a tough, uncompromising back rower, um, plays a nice, tight game, big efforts, um, and, you know, an experienced guy, has been around Super Rugby for a few years. You know, I thought maybe Angus got young, but he's maybe a bit young, and I'm probably becoming a bit too a bit aware of just throwing these guys in there, like a Jack Maddox, who does some good things, but probably isn't up to it, um, but yeah, someone like an Angus Cottrell, uh, I'd really love to see. You know, broader than that, it, it's it's really hard to see where you come from. Maybe we do give Tom Banks a shot on the wing. Correbetti's interesting, isn't he? I've, you know, I was proclaiming him as the world's best winger, you know, a year ago. But and he does some great stuff. But geez, he does a lot of uh, frustrating stuff as well. And so maybe we need to find some answers on the wing there as well. And maybe that's Banks. Um, or even he in, in in NRC level, sort of really goes missing. He's not putting his hand up and really owning that competition like he like he should. He, uh, the, his game on the weekend versus the Force was glimpses of fantastic stuff, but gone missing. He should be dominating this competition if he wants that Wallaby team, and that's that's a little bit frustrating to me. Um, anyone from your guys' eyes that you think you know we should be you know you wouldn't mind getting a bit of a shot there's a you know i guess billy meeks is another one duncan paya is really sort of controlling things his his defensive work is really if he he misses a lot of tackles unfortunately um but uh you know uh, definitely a, a, a player worth noting but billy meeks has a bit of hardness to it i don't know if that's what we need but um jamie anything you think we um you know we should be looking for in other players
3: uh, look, in general, I
1: think this is
3: a good group, though there's one or two players i you know, not huge fans of and I'd probably start some other players. I, I think the decision to play Beal at 10 shows catastrophically poor judgment from the coaching staff, um, much like the James O'Connor experiment did five years ago. Um, but I, I think in general the players are there, and I think what makes it hard about us talking about wanting to change the coaches is that on this particular occasion – Last Saturday, it was the players. I think overwhelmingly, uh, with just basic individual skill errors, missed individual tackles. Kirtley Beal had two Falcons in the same match. Like, how is that even possible? Tui dropped it twice. Uh, Fallout dropped it. I mean, just the players just weren't there. And unfortunately, in this environment, you you can do you can change the coach. You can't change twenty three players. So it's the coach that's got to go. Um, but in general, look, I think we've generally got the right people there. We are weak in some groups. The back row mix is obviously bad. Um, but, you know, there are some other areas like up front where I think we got lots of really good props coming through. And, you know, second row looks pretty good. So, you know, I, I, I think focusing on the cattle might be uh, not the number one place to focus personally. Uh, what do you reckon, Hugh?
2: Yeah, look, I, I'd I'd agree with that entirely. Um I I think of the players that Reg listed, I mean, no one none of those players, with all due respect to all of them, fills me with any confidence that they are gonna thrive at international level. At best, you know, they're all workmen like blokes like Cottrell and Billy Meeks and Tom Banks and but I mean I, I can't see them setting the world alight against Argentina or South Africa away. I mean they're but my the people point you pick is, when you just is,
1: don't sorry. My point is maybe that's what we need. You say workmen like maybe we need some people to do some work. I mean that's well, I mean that's what Kenny is saying, that's what Czech is saying. And I and I know we, you know, that, that's all tainted with a little bit of um, you know, covering their bases a thing, but I just think we just need some old school workers you know nathan gray himself was a fantastic impact player for the wallabies we, we don't have someone like that with all these flash and flash and you know supposed skill but it's just not coming through sorry go on yeah no well i
2: agree with you reg and actually it's funny talking about you know going back to the coaching staff and an interesting point that was made on twitter to in a, in a bit of a back and forth um today which was you know talking about tactics of this team and, and last year we we started ned hannigan every game at number yeah. six and, you know, that was the workhorse grafter. That was the guy that we needed and that was what the narrative was. And this year, we've gone to Lucan Tui and, and realistically it's chalk and cheese, isn't it? You know, yeah. we've gone from from the high work rate, low impact player to the very opposite, the high impact, low work rate player. I mean, Lucan Tui's work rate's not horrible, but you know, but there's been no, realist, no reason why we've done that, no explanation really as to why that's the case and and so maybe we do shift back to the work rate, and we throw Ned Hannigan back in there, and and we do throw a Billy Mix and get a bit of graft in. I mean, my thing is is just more again tactically. The, the other one that I want to bring up is is this you know this endless obsession with playing rugby in our own half. You know, we <clears> we we're, we're stuffing around with a ball in our own twenty-two and our own thirty, and and you know it, it's it's the more you do in that space, the the worse it gets for you, and and inevitably. I think we did concede a try basically off, a, off an error that we made from a misguided attack in our, in our own half. And we you know, concede penalties. I mean, I'd just like to see a, a return to good old-fashioned test-match pragmatism I mean, and just get the ball down the other end and play a bit of field position and try and control the, the narrative of the game. And we did that pretty well in the last 15 minutes of the game because Argentina kept giving us the ball. But we still couldn't score from it. So, yeah, what do you do?
1: Yeah, exactly. What do you do? Um, well, I guess that shows, to, you know, plenty of theories. No one's got any concrete Here's ideas. Israel
2: throws that pass, Reg. We win the game. I don't know what we're yeah, saying, and, but, different but, what we're saying yeah. now. It's certainly probably a little bit different. Yeah,
1: I, undeservedly, sorry, and it, you, you probably go back to that Springbok win as well. It's a, it's a similar scenario. We're papering over the cracks, and like you say, good win versus Ireland in the first test, but ever since then, it's been down, 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 um, even regardless of that win versus the box. Um, lads, let's talk... we got to turn this around, get the vibe back up, get a bit of positivity back here. Um, the All Blacks lost on the weekend, lads. Does that... That's, that Given us a, make the rugby championship alive again? Are we, we uh, getting a bit of enthusiasm back about this tournament, Jamie?
3: Uh, yeah, no, it does. Um, I remember sort of coming to the pub and my wife was uh, wearing her Wallaby jersey and she was asking me, like, what does this mean for the tournament? And I was like, well, to be honest, um, New Zealand will probably win and we'll probably win, so we'll be pretty clear at second <laughs> place because South Africa lost against Argentina, you know, away, so they were already in a bit of a hole. And then, as it turns out, uh, we end up at the bottom of, of the ladder. And, look, to be fair, when you, when you do look at that game again, it is engrossing, though New Zealand do hand South Africa two points. I mean, there are two yeah. to set the prize, basically. Yeah. Um, but in the last five minutes, you've got to say, you know, I was, I was in the pub and my mate next to me was like, oh, there's just a sense of inevitability about this. And there was. Um, But then Barrett missed the conversion. And then in the last minute, I mean, the All Blacks were right in front of the sticks. They couldn't get a penalty. They couldn't set up for the drop goal. Um, You know, the South Africans showed just an immense amount of heart in defense and one or two of their players, um, Warren Whiteley in particular, just some extraordinary numbers and extraordinary commitment in defense. And um, you know, it's inspiring. It was inspiring to see what it meant to the players. It was inspiring to get emails from my South African friends about how extraordinary it was. Um, you know, New Zealand just don't lose at home. And you know, it's it, it is great. It's great for rugby to see New Zealand lose. It's great for rugby to see them lose all the time, in fact. Um, I just wish it had been us who had made them lose. And uh, you know, we did it once last year and we came incredibly close to doing it in New Zealand last year as well. Probably should have done it. Um, you know, but it's it's good. It's good for the neutrals. It's good for us. It's good for rugby. So, yeah, all of those things.
1: Uh, it's interesting, uh, Hugh. I mean, obviously, as Jamie said there, no one probably would have anticipated both. We've probably talked about the Argentina, Argentina gamut enough, but it has enlivened. It's great for Argentina to win on the road, you um, you know first time in the professional leader in australia let alone what well, happened you know what happened with the all blacks
2: it certainly puts some interest into the last couple of rounds doesn't it i mean i think the um the all blacks have got a lot to prove and in fact it sets up a really sumptuous game i mean if i think if the all blacks win in argentina they they clinch the rugby championship um but I am just trying to think of a scenario because the Springboks have already lost two games and the All Blacks have now lost one. So I think even if the All Blacks lose that final game, it comes down to four and against. I think that's where they'll probably clinch it. But the the game in South Africa um, between the All Blacks and the Springboks is is looming as one of the one of the biggest in years. And and you know if the All Blacks do lose again, it 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 certainly puts a glimmer of of hope in in people's minds for the World Cup because you know it seemed like. They're marching towards another title, a third consecutive title. But um, you know, a, a couple of losses you know, to a South Africa team that realistically is not very good. I mean, they they played horribly against us last week. So I mean, let's not pretend that these this South African team is 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 a world-beating team. Um, they certainly fronted up well in in um, in New Zealand. But uh, yeah, if if the All go down again, it's it's a it's an interest. It'll make a, certainly a very interesting scenario. Um, moving into the World Cup, so we can only hope. Um, and you know the Wallabies have actually got a fair bit to prove as well. Um, so you know after last week, I basically wrote off the rugby championship. Now it's it's never been more alive. So um, yes, you're welcome.
1: <laughs> and I look, I, I don't want to keep harping about the Wallabies, but it is the green and gold rugby show. But that Jamie, that win by the box is. Uh... You know, we know when the All Blacks are, are beatable, and I, you know, I, I think they are very beatable. I don't think they're the wonderful team that they have been in the past. They make a lot of mistakes, and they have in all the tests they've played this year. It's just no one until now has been able to put them, you know, to to make advantage, take advantage of that. The Wallabies had good opportunities. They played them when they were quite poor, particularly in those first halves. But we couldn't. You know, we couldn't take advantage. The box took advantage. When there points to be scored, they scored points. And that's probably the most crucial thing with the All Blacks, isn't it? you got to score points. You,
3: you know, Paul Cully's been on a huge thing about this, about you have to score more than 30 points uh, to beat the All Blacks. Um, I couldn't disagree more. And the data is entirely in my favour and not in his. <laughs> um, the, the, the evidence shows when the All Blacks score... Uh, the, the key is defence. When the All Blacks score few, 20 points, points or fewer i think i believe the stat is right but they lose in recent times about eighty five percent of the matches so that's it that's the end of that and when i read that piece from him about needing to score more points i thought that is the most fucking stupid thing i can imagine um much better than that was a segment rod Kafer did recently about beating the all blacks pointing out um how important it was to limit their points. And if you look back over the last six or seven years at the Wallabies games, when they've done well against the All Blacks, when they've drawn or when they've won, most of the time it's been because they've been able to strangle the All Blacks' attack. And that is the key thing. This game wasn't quite like that. Um, I think the All Blacks scored five tries? Or was it six? I think it might have been six with two conversions. Um yes. But it was just the goal kicking of Barrett, which we know can be a little streaky that let them down. Down. Um, but look it, it it's great and look they'll head back to Loftus-Versfeld in Pretoria in a couple of weeks for a rematch and that's a great stadium to to play rugby at it's a great stadium to watch it at uh, and it will probably be enough to get me up in the middle of the night to watch it
1: well that's saying something that's good um, <laughs> yeah look I mean fascinating it, it's just you know a year out from the World Cup again it, it enliven, enlivens world rugby and like you say the All Blacks have now got a real challenge Going to Argentina, going to South Africa, let alone then forget about their Australia, match against Australia wherever we're playing them. But then the end of season two up, up north too. It's, it really you know, adds a little bit of spice to that end of year rugby too, which is fantastic. Um, question five uh, is about the NRC. and Originally, we were coming up with questions and we've got to focus this, just on New South Wales NRC teams who have been nothing... Um, less than shambolic in their first two rounds. And they will play off each other on Wednesday night as a result of this ridiculous shoot shield and sort of finishing the same weekend that the NRC starts. So this Sydney are playing New South Wales country on Wednesday night, which is effectively their round one match put back two and a half weeks or three and a half weeks. But they've been terrible. They've both been thrashed in both games they've played. Um, and and Hugh, I think you saw this article, Jamie, I don't know if you did, but from an unnamed um, player, an NRC player, um, has uh, written an article on The Raw um, under the name Johnny Football, where he just rips into, I guess, New South Wales rugby and the structure of the NRC and the the teams being selected and how they're approaching the competition. Um, And, um, you know, just... Just saying that it's effectively it's a, it's a debacle and it's not going to go anywhere. Hugh, did you you caught this article? I assume
2: I did. It, it was a really interesting read, and and we might chuck a link up to it in, in on the on the page because it's something that you know essentially for people who haven't read of this criticism, and then it was someone who himself had played NRC and not not revealing his name. Um, is that essentially that the New South Wales rugby? What they've done is they've engineered a scenario where, because of the the fact that they've the Waratahs have already locked in their squad for next year, um, and they are offering a very low wage for for, for the players. Um, a lot of the more experienced Shoot Shield players that don't have a contract for next year have gone. Well, what's the point? And they've walked away from it. So we've seen actually, and an, a large number of of the New South Wales sort of older clubbies, the experienced first graders, and the, the you know the, a crucial element of the NRC walking away from it. And so we're left with a, a, a situation where the two New South Wales teams are either super, you're either super rugby players or you're you're an under twenties. Um, player or sort of a fringe shoot shield player, and that's the, been the makeup of the teams, and and with most of the talent actually directed towards um, the Rams and away from the race. So you you have this um, system now, which is is completely going against what the NRC was set up to be, which was the best of club rugby, with the Super Rugby guys coming back, and it was a genuine third tier. And now it just seems like we're we it's a it, it, it's so muddled um, in New South Wales anyway. It doesn't really know what it wants to be, and it's probably part of a, a wider malaise in the playing ranks with the way that the Super Rugby's now structured, which is either you know superstars and Wallabies making big coin, and development under twenties players making very small coin, and there doesn't seem to be much room in between. And and the days of the old club player, you know, the experienced vet of, of you know six, seven, eight years. Um, getting a call up and getting his chance seems to have gone away. And if more more often than not now, if you're not making those under 20s squads and under 21s, you 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 find yourself a, a little bit on the outer. And with the money that's available overseas, we're seeing those players now take off to French second division and and um and rugby in the UK and Scotland and and Ireland and these sort of places. So it is you know just another a nail in the coffin uh, to the way that our game is being set up, and certainly. Uh, it seems like New South Wales is the epicenter of, of, of this particular problem, Reg.
1: I, I was going to say, look, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, you know, I, it's it's we can't jump them down and say everything's working really well up in Queensland. Here, you know, I think we've we, we've probably led the way in terms of NRC development, and you know, as a reward, I think we've had three of the, of the four winners so far. Um, but Brisbane City look a real hodgepodge of a team this year. They had a really good win on the weekend, albeit against the Sydney Rays, and they still let in 40 points. Um, but it is interesting, and maybe it is more Queensland country, and it, it's, it's great to see Robert Seed, the coach this year, sort of take on what Brad Thorne and Paul Carrozza did last year. He's got the basis of a really good team there. Obviously, Duncan Ua, Jordan Pettire, you know, Angus Scott Young, Caleb Timu, James Slipp is playing very well. So, I think, But the, he's, he's bringing these young guys through this... Um, uh tom kibble who played on the weekend harry wilson michael wood these guys all are part of the under 20s so you know that johnny Footballer wrote this article about these young guys who are not even playing premier grade in, in in new south wales getting a shot that is happening up here but it's working i mean i get to be fair tom kibble um and harry wilson played a fair bit of first grade they're both under 20 players and went back and played a bit of colts but um you know it, you know, they are bringing these young guys through. Maybe it's a small crowd up here, but there's always that um, that sort of anti-Randwick, anti-Sydney Uni thing down there, which people are, are very aware of. And I, they seem to count the, the club representation a lot more down there than they do up here, at least, you know, from my observations. Can Jamie? I, can I, yeah, I just wanted to say two
3: things here. Uh, firstly regarding, you know, the play... Firstly, I want to say how much I appreciated that article. We all want to hear more about the players who are in the middle of this mess at the moment. I I just really want to say I really appreciate um, that piece. Um, My first point is, without revealing the identity of the person, um, he was very eloquent for the school he went to, and I just want to congratulate him on on that (laughs) and and just really throw it out to that particular school. Um, Secondly, uh, there was some... Really interesting information coming out of the UK this week about the finances of the Premiership clubs. They just turned down a big offer to buy the Premiership from a from a hedge fund, basically. And in doing so, they had to reveal their own finances, and every single club is running at a at an unsustainable loss. And the number one reason why they're running at a loss is player wages. Uh, some clubs are spending eighty two percent. 82% of their budget on wages alone. Um, and this just goes to that broader point about how are you supposed to fight fire with, with fire? You know, how are you supposed to pay players to play in the NRC when other teams are being run over there as vanity projects and people don't have to make economic sense. They can just run at a loss. And I think until we grasp that fundamental point that we can't fight this fight because it's an unfair fight. Yeah think we're going to keep seeing the same patterns happen. Um, some of these clubs are, are losing, you know, two million pounds a year. Like, you know, the owners don't care. They just don't care. And we've got to run our, our games in a similar way or else we'll we'll keep seeing guys go overseas uh, instead of getting paid, you know, $2,000 for a whole NRC season as Johnny Football pointed out in this, uh, in this fantastic article.
1: Yeah. 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 Really good point. I mean, that, it's hard to compete with what's happening when those French second, third division teams, let alone what's happening in the UK um, and, and the sort of the pay packets that are happening there. And we're seeing some of the players we're losing when you're losing schoolboys, even to Japan. You know, there's there's more and more recent cases of these young schoolboys going to Japan to, Japan, um, to play over there um, just because of the the money they're getting. We we can't compete with that. So there needs to be other ways we can. We can compete and that you know, there will be an NRC under nineteen this year. It it you know, by no means will it be a, a funding opportunity for the kids that they're not gonna get Pay packets from it, if, if anything, um, but it's another step on the development pathway, and hopefully that works. As long as that skill development happening too. Look, I, I, I just also want to broaden the NRC, and everyone who listens to this podcast knows my affection for the competition, and 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 it's been there since the day one. I'm, and I'm really enjoying the footy this year, and the, the, you know, just on the weekend. Um, there's some great stuff. I think uh, the, the Vikings force game was was cracker. But the, the Queensland Country-Fiji-Endura game w- w- was superb. Um, Endura have been fantastic to watch this year. And this is their first loss. And it was great to see uh, some of this Queensland Country. You now, Hamish Stewart, I want to point out, you know, he's, he's copped a bit of flack and he's a bit flaky. But this was probably the most composed I've seen. It's probably the best professional game of rugby I've seen him play. Really controlled that game well. But, you know, so there's still positives. There's still good rugby. But yeah, the, the Sydney thing just riles me and 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 their performances i mean the, the Sydney Rays got 60 points put on them by Brisbane City who have been pretty diabolical this season Melbourne Rising haven't won a game they put 62 points on the New South Wales Country Eagle Country Eagles and you know the Eagles were the better team last week and um uh, the, the Eagles last week i think had 54 points put on them on <sighs> the Rays had 54 points put on them as well. So, you know, that's two games that they're over 100 points against immediately. So there's real concerns about that, let alone the late start to the season because of the shoot shield. But I, I, the, the, there's just things happening that I'm, I'm concerned about. There have been some good crowd, crowds. Fiji and Drew were good. It looked okay, Western Force, when when Brisbane City took their game to North's uh, rugby club in Brisbane. There was great crowds, and I think we'll see that again again. Um, Pretty soon, I think round four, um, we're at Bond University for Queensland Country and actually Melbourne are taking a game to Adelaide. So that, that'll be interesting to see. But the, the scheduling, this this is just indicative to me that someone doesn't care. I, I don't know where it's coming from, whether it's a broadcaster, whether it's the ARU, but how is this happening? One of the most basic premises when you've only got four games of a competition two are on live on Fox Sports and the other two are streamed is surely you don't have conflicts and we've got games in Fiji and we've got games on the East Coast and we've got games over in Perth obviously it's easy enough to schedule those times so that they run into each other 3 o'clock you know, on the East Coast is, is 1 o'clock in Perth and I think it's a similar time difference between Fiji and here you know, 3 o'clock over there is 1 o'clock on the East Coast but for the last two weekends, we've had games at the exact same time. And on, on this this weekend past, week three, we had three games on Saturday. And the two live stream games were on at the exact same time at one o'clock on the East Coast. It just doesn't make sense. So the TV game was a bottom of the ladder, Sydney Rays versus Brisbane City. And the one o'clock game was, you know, Queensland Country, Fiji and Drua. Um, which was top of the table or two undefeated teams at one o'clock at the exact same time that New South Wales Country Eagles were playing Melbourne Rising. It just it doesn't make sense that the same thing happened the week before with Queensland Country Melbourne Rising at the same time as Western Force and New South Wales Country Eagle. It's just a little thing, but the, the attention to detail, if we want this competition to grow, we want people to see it, we've got to get the scheduling right. And the scheduling, just, it, it just feels like it's half-assed this year. I hate to... Th- Think of it, it In fact, I'm just looking at this round four, and I don't know if this is right, but according to the ARU, this Saturday, um, Melbourne Rising playing Brisbane City at, in Adelaide, the kickoff is at 10:30 in the morning. What's what's the time difference between here and Adelaide? It must be only an hour or so, but maybe half an hour. But that's About I just don't get year. it. And similarly, on Sunday, New South Wales... 30 years, thanks. Sorry, Jamie. I was in mid-range. Um, on Sunday, New South Wales Country are playing Canberra Eagles at um, UNE Bellevue Oval at 11 o'clock in the morning. Maybe the Sevens is on that weekend, but you know, I don't know what's going on with the scheduling. That's fourth-grade subbies time. I know. I just don't get it. I'm, I'm concerned that, you know, that it just shows you where this competition is is unfortunately sitting and it just makes me feel how much I love it and how much I love the rugby. And I know there's a lot of very passionate people up there. It's never going to get anywhere. It doesn't have the support. It just feels like it's just filling a bit of a gap at the moment and, and it's got no real sort of impetus behind it, unfortunately, which is um, well, sad to see.
2: Quickly, Reg, can I borrow an idea that, that I, you know, Cameron Crawford, um, an ex-player, some yeah. will remember from Waratahs and Rebels. Yeah. Um and he basically said, commenting on the article that was uh, – we, we, that started this discussion that, that, well, if New South Wales is basically going to two teams, both of which are hopeless, yep. you know, it's not, it's not unfeasible to suggest that they only have one team. In which yep. case, why don't we just go back to playing all the super rugby teams and the force and Fiji in Drua? And in 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 some sort of internal comp, at least then you've got the established brands of those teams and the networks. And yet, you know, Queensland would have to go two teams into one as well, or you create, you know, you keep the two Queensland teams and you create a, a franchise up in Townsville or something. Um, but you know, is that is that where we're heading? Because realistically, it's all it's 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 what we've got now with with yeah. a couple of extra teams thrown in.
1: Yeah, and I think Dave McDooling, again, another, uh, you know, oh, former ROTAR. sorry, he was, he
2: was Dave McDooling. Oh, right. he wasn't Ken Yeah, okay. Forward. apologies,
1: yeah. yes. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's the old Rico challenge that used to happen was the, you know, it was an interstate series without the Wallabies, and they'd play. And you're right, you're chucking the force, you're chucking the... Um, the in Drew and who any anyone else, but it just becomes a you know super rugby minus your your wallabies. And I tell you who else will support that It would be Benny Darwin. It's the cohesion factor is all of a sudden, you know, you you can you can play still your Queensland Reds players. So you know, Jimmy Tuttle or Tate McDermott and Hamish Stewart are getting the combinations going with Duncan Peyahua ready for the super rugby season. But you know, with um try to think of her any Queenslanders who are Reds. You know, but you know, without Isaac Rodder or Luke Antui there, Harry Hawkins and Angus Blythe get a chance to step up into the system. So that next year in the super rugby, if Isaac Rodder goes down for the season, Harry Hawkins can come up and he's being thrown to by Brandon Paengaramos, who he's played the season with. So that cohesion factor is big in there. It it has some merit and it you know, it may end up being what happens down the track, they can still be Queensland or the Reds and, you know, we don't have this situation where people don't Yeah, New South Wales country and Queensland country who have both been fantastic in what they do, uh, aren't really supported and aren't really genuine country other than the fact that they play regional games.
2: Well, and and you could, you know, use that tournament as a, a, you know, spread the game kind of thing for the Waratahs can certainly take their games on the road and, and, you know, use that that brand. And, and, you know, I think you you probably do get away from what the original NRC was supposed to be about, which was more opportunities for, for for Shoot Shield and Queensland Premier Rugby players to play, you know, at a higher higher level and mix with those better players. I mean, maybe you do keep, you know, as as a um a, a sort of rolling comp at the same time. Is do you then bring in that club championship idea crossed exactly. to around exactly you, know? right. exactly you right. have that going as well, and and yeah. and you can try and farm in a few. Uh, I don't know that that might be where. Where we end up, and you know, I don't think it would be so much ending the NRC; it's just another development along the path. Um, yep. And I, but look, you know, that's that's um, all well and good, Reg. The only other comment, quickly pivoting, because I know we've we've probably done we've been on for too long, but um, uh, World Series Rugby looking like getting the green light to go ahead in West and Sydney, and that's a another thing to consider. Although it seems like that they wouldn't be allowed to use shoot shield players, which is I find. Fairly bizarre. So
1: um, I don't think you can control that, can
2: you? <laughs> if
1: the Sheet Shield players want to sign a professional contract, it's like saying, you know, we're going to have the Sheet Shield, but you know, you guys can't go and play in France or Italy or wherever you're going to play. I mean, if they want to sign a contract, they're going to sign yeah, a contract. good,
2: good luck. Um, but you know, after after the um, the issues in rugby in Western Sydney, I mean, this is this has um, been, I think, something that people have had an eye on for a little while, and and if. Uh, World Series Rugby in Twiggy Forest wants to come and put money into rugby in Western Sydney. Certainly, I would applaud that um, standing on my feet, and that would be great to see. So let's hope that uh, we can all the powers that be and the people out there can can make that happen.
1: Yep, indeed. Um, look, the only other rugby from around the grounds I want to touch on was um, a pretty awesome. We'll call it a grand final in the Jeeps Brisbane Queensland Rugby Competition. On the weekend, schoolboys, uh, whereas the undefeated Nudgie played the undefeated TSS, and uh, I think Nudgie got out to a 22 nil lead at half time and looked all done and dusted. TSS fought back to be 22 all there, thereabouts, um, with about five minutes to go before Nudgie. Uh, scored in the corner with uh, Jungler Bennett, who is a, a wonderful little player. Um, the winger, flying winger, scored a try in the corner. I think he, that makes he scored 15 tries this year. But amazing crowd, 7,000. Like you say, Hugh, earlier, uh, amazing uh, atmosphere and great buy-in by the public. So that was that was an awesome part to the um, to the uh, start to the rugby weekend um, that went downhill pretty quickly. Um, anything else, lads, before we close up? It's been a big show. Jamie, you're Good.
3: Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm exhausted. You know. Yeah.
1: Well, mate, have the rest of the night off. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks.
2: And and the weekend yeah. off for that matter, because I don't Yeah, no, no weekend. Games, so.
1: Well, well, just make sure you're up bright and early for those NRC games, mate. You don't want to miss yeah, those. That's
2: right. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just,
3: I, I I I didn't want to add any more, but I just wanted to add that one of the NRC teams, I think it's the Rising, isn't playing a single match at home this year.
1: Well. Like, just, yeah, the Melbourne Rising aren't playing in Melbourne. They're like Adelaide. They've been in the role the whole time. This is their first home game. They've, you know, they've been in Fiji, Townsville, Mudgie. This is their first home game and they're playing it in Adelaide.
3: But, but, I mean, I don't think they're playing a game at home the entire no. season.
1: No, they play um, Geelong. Geelong's their closest game, yeah. Right,
3: so well, well done, Rising, and well done, Schedulers, for that. That's,
1: that's just terrible. Yeah, indicative unfortunately. All right, lads. Yeah. Uh thanks uh for your time. Thanks for calling in. Matt, thanks for your half assed effort of giving us some um, commentary at the front and to our producer Nick who's gotta who's gotta build this podcast. He's got a bit of work to do tonight, unfortunately. But um appreciate everyone and, and to our listeners. Uh, thanks for joining in thanks for supporting Australian Rugby and and Green and Gold Rugby Uh, any feedback you want just please send it through and uh, you know we don't say this often enough but please jump on iTunes and and give us a a five star review and some positive comments and we'll 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 keep doing the show uh, that uh, that you want to provide us so uh, thanks for everyone and we'll speak to you next week Heels off the top Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle Regan, drop goal from Larkham,
0: up it goes, could you believe it, Larkham has to bear to Beer.